Welcome into Texans All Access on a Tuesday. Just wrapped up an hour with Jonathan Grenard and Indy Kalu. You guys, JG, like if he wasn't a favorite in the locker room, he's now, I think, Indy Kalu's favorite as well. Sure. I mean, he loves that guy. He goes, I'm going to make my son listen to this whole show because you were so wise beyond your years, which, you know, and then I thought about it. I was like, well, JG's still on his rookie contract. Isn't that crazy? He is. And I know this because when we do appearances with players on their yeah. rookie contract, it's a big deal because they only have so many appearances they can do for the club a year. So it's interesting. This was one of them for Jonathan Grenard, who's a very popular player to have around in appearances. And he had that great first game. In the second game, the defense as a whole, not quite what we were looking for, but it's great to have him on the show, and I'm looking forward to Sunday. Great to also have Drew Doherty joining us. That was Mark Vandermeer. I'm DP Sidhu. We're continuing our Tuesday radios. And speaking of, if you want to hear that first show and you missed it, you can just go to HoustonTexans.com, go to the podcast page, Texans Huddle, available on demand. Much like Netflix and the show Ugly Betty that the three of us, I found out, watched. I need to so, see it. I need to check it out. It's on Netflix. Uh, anyway, so we talked a little bit about the Jag, uh, the the previous game against the Colts, obviously. JG, a lot to say about the defense, things that need to be cleaned up, and just wanted to get you guys' thoughts. I know we're going to turn the page to Jacksonville on Wednesday, but now a couple of days out from this game against Indy. Your thoughts on really what could be done for this week three matchup in Jacksonville, which is a place that, you know, this Texans team loves to play. Yeah, Texans haven't lost there since 2017. Before that, it was 2013. And before that, it was 2010. But uh, what I want to see is more of what we saw from C.J. Stroud last Sunday. I mean, look at all those completions of 20 yards or more. He had seven. Uh, Nico Collins was phenomenal going deep. Phenomenal catching the ball short and getting extra yardage after the catch. Tank Dell was doing his thing. Tank Dell was the most targeted receiver on Sunday by C.J. Stroud. And Robert Woods, a lot of people were saying, oh, Robert Woods is in the twilight of his career. He's done. Uh, Look at what he did last year in Tennessee. But you got to remember what he did last year in Tennessee. Who was he playing with? Who was throwing him the ball? And he was coming off the knee injury. So that three-headed, I don't want to call it a monster, but those three, that trinity of receivers, I like what they've been doing. And that's Dalton Schultz hasn't even had to get much into the mix. And everybody kind of thought going into the season, oh, it's going to be lots of run game and lots of Dalton Schultz. Texans will be uh, not lucky, but they're not going to see as much from the wide receiver core. And yes, it is a small sample size. It's only two games in, but goodness, we can see what we saw Sunday on a more consistent basis from this receiving core. Good stuff. Really, really good stuff going on. There's so much to focus on that does need to be cleaned up, corrected, done better. We all know that. But the biggest takeaway for me is, wow, on C.J. Stroud in week two, throwing for 384. Look, when he sends, when anybody sends me to the record books for, when was the last time this happened and how many times has it happened, whether it's good or bad, that's a significant development. And it was a significant development. And for anybody who says, well, garbage time, it's not really garbage time. I know they're down three scores and that's that's tough, but they climbed back into the game and there they are with the ball. If they're able to punch it in with just under three minutes to go, things change. An awful lot. They have the stoppages to get it done, to get the ball back and really threaten the issue. The point is this, though. 
How much garbage time has we have we had in the last three years? Lots of it, right? In 22, in 21, in 2020, and we saw big yardage totals. But we have not seen 384 yards since 2019 against the Atlanta Falcons. So I think that's a pretty good number right there. And I know that, all right, whatever, it's just yardage. But the way he read the defense, the way he threw the football, it was good rhythm for him. And now I want to see him do it in the first half in the context of, hey, the game is still relatively even see if you can do it on the road against the Jaguars keep taking steps forward because they might really be onto something here and you hope they are with the number two overall pick in the draft but so far so good for CJ Stroud which is really the most important thing that you develop him and that he's really good and you can build around him it's not going to happen overnight but it's a good start for him yeah, D'Amico Bryans was saying that, you know, his processing speed, he's a very good processor, doesn't make the same mistake twice, which is, I think, a lot of what we saw, what you guys are alluding to from week one to week two. Another big thing they wanted to improve at Jacksonville, not a lot of tempo. Uh, he thought the offense, D'Amico thought the offense was running a bit sluggishly, and, and that really improved in week two as well. He liked the tempo, liked them lining up, uh, you know, going from the huddle to the line of scrimmage. Uh, pre-snap operation was much quicker, much more efficient. And then, you know, this all sort of playing in the background of the fact that C.J. Stroud was questionable heading into the game with a yeah. shoulder injury, and you've got four of your five starting offensive linemen out, you think if he's able to do that with, you know, all the adversity he was dealing with, you know, what's going to happen when you start to get some of these players back a little bit healthier, you know, he starts to get into the rhythm of things as well. But, you know, I just thought that was outstanding considering the fact that he talked about after the game, he was not sure if he was even going to play. And he was really down in the dumps about it all week thinking he might not get to play. Wow. And McLean said on Texans Monday, he said, maybe you should play with a hurt shoulder all the no. time. <laughs> <laughs> because of how well he played. I forgot all about that during the game. I mean, there he is oh, dealing. And I thought, okay, well, uh, let's just see where it takes us. And then after the game, I remembered, oh, my gosh, he was questionable heading into this thing because in the midst of it, you weren't thinking about that at all. You mm -hmm. were thinking about this is fun to watch this offense operate. Now, I wish the, that the deficit wasn't what it was. But despite all that, it was enjoyable to watch him play. I don't know if you guys yeah, get this. It's remarkable oh, ahead, what he was able to do because, you, you know, you, you take the shoulder stuff out. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, there's still a small sample size, relatively mm, speaking, sure. on C.J. Stroud. But in that small sample size, you go back to May when he got here, what have we heard over and over again? Well, I, he needs to do this better, but I think we'll see that in the next practice. And then, lo and behold, next practice, he's doing whatever X needed to be done better. You get into training camp. This was a little bit slow, but he's got to pick this up. Next time, boom, he's picked it up. First preseason game, he was very slow, relatively speaking, on that one series and change, getting rid of the ball and finding open receivers. So what did he do in the second you know, game? He was, he was a lot better in that regard and even better against the Saints. He fixes things, and now he's done that week one to week two as far as getting plays going, moving the offense along, getting things going. So while we don't have as much to go on yet because he's still a rookie, we have seen him do this time and time and time again over the last five, six months, and that's really, really encouraging because he came in with a pretty damn good pedigree as it was. I mean, one of the most accurate college football passers of all time, and he's starting to show that too. I mean, that that touchdown pass to Nico Collins, goodness gracious, you watch it over and over again. Great catch, but great throw too, man, just going over and in between all those defenders. I love what I saw from there. And I'm really, really pumped about what's going on. Well, with him. Johnny swears that he was going for Tank Dell on that. And 
I know CJ is going to get asked about this on Wednesday during his press conference, so I can't wait for the answer to that one because I'm sticking to my story that it was going to Nico the whole time. I mean, Drew mentions his pedigree from Ohio State. I think the one thing that we heard so much during the pre-draft process was, oh, well, you know, he's really accurate because look at the receivers he had. And I thought one of the biggest reasons for optimism coming out of Sunday's game is how good the receivers looked with C.J. Stroud throwing them the ball, namely number 12, Nico Collins, who we've seen him over the past few years start to show flashes of something really good and then, you know, has injury, you know, and then comes back. But he's never, even at his healthiest, had a game like that. Seven catches, 146 yards, averaging 20, almost 21 yards per catch. I mean, just really going after the deep ball, ball placement, beautiful touchdown, beautiful, had a touchdown. The first touchdown of C.J. Stroud's career, Nico Collins. And I think seeing him, Mm -hmm. Tank Dell, put it together. You see Robert Woods. You saw a little bit of John Mechie. And Xavier Hutchinson hasn't even really gotten into the mix yet. You know, I would assume that we're going to start seeing more and more of him as he gets up to speed too. But I thought he just made the receivers look really good as well. Yeah, and what about Nico Collins? When he was picked, much was made of his size, his frame, his stature. He's a big guy. He's going to be able to get the jump balls and everything. And yeah, yeah, okay, he can. And then we saw last year in very limited action, he turned on the Jets a time or two. He had one of the fastest times when he caught a ball and was zipping right up the middle of the field. It was one of the fastest recorded times in the NFL last year. He was going something like 21, 22 miles per hour. So, oh, he's kind of sneaky fast, too. And then I saw this in that Saints game, or no, maybe it was the, I can't remember which game it was in the preseason, but he caught a pass and just immediately drilled a guy that was trying to tackle him over on the boundary. Mm -hmm. And then he's got that violence to him. I mean, we saw it on Sunday. He was tough to bring down after the catch. I mean, he could have gone down much earlier, a few different times, but he, he would pick up about 10 extra yards because he's bulldozing through guys. So he's kind of putting a lot of stuff together. To go with that stature, his speed, his violence, his hands, I mean, after the catch, it's a fun thing to see on a guy I think that was kind of pigeonholed and labeled perhaps correctly, but you didn't know that he could do these other things too and had these other facets to his game. I'm glad you brought up the New England game in the preseason because after that game, if you had told me, hey, after two weeks, Stroud is going to be fourth in the league in passing yards and Nico Collins will be fifth in the league in receiving yards, I would say, Come on. But here we are right now. Quick development for an outstanding prospect like CJ. And look, all we have to compare this to are David Carr, all right, number one overall pick in the draft. He didn't develop the way you wanted him to. Watson developed very quickly and had that great stretch in his rookie year. And obviously things change, and a lot of things have changed since then. But this is the only comparison I have. The way I look at C.J. Stroud, this guy is a real pocket passer who can move. But he's a pocket passer. He's a true passer of the football, a thrower Mm -hmm. of the football, as Greg Cosell might say. And I'm really enjoying watching him operate, and I can't wait to see when they get the ground game going, and please make it a win, not an if. That is only going to help the situation because they get good play action going. You're going to have a lot more opportunities downfield. It would certainly help if they weren't playing from behind to get the ground game going as well. I mean, when you're down 14 nothing after the first two series, I'm thinking, well, this is exactly what they were trying to avoid, playing playing from behind, playing from behind the sticks. Damian Pierce talked about it Friday. Like, it's really hard to get the ground game going when you're coming at it from playing, you know, from behind such a sizable lead so early on in the game. But... I'm with you, Mark. I mean, wait till they get the ground game going. And I'm very curious to see, and maybe the D'Amico Ryan's translator, we've gotten some more data, but Uh Laramie Tunsil day to day. 
Yeah, that's day to day with D'Amico could mean anything. I I still don't have the true calibration on the D'Amico Ryan's translator, so I cannot interpret day to day. Could mean he's back at practice on Wednesday. Could mean out for another week. I don't know. I don't know what day to day means like for D'Amico. Everybody's day to day. That's this is why Titus it's confusing. How- Titus, Titus Howard, Howard was day to day. I didn't want to say it. Then he ends up on IR. I did not want to. I did not want to go there with another tackle. I think I got a feeling not there. I got a feeling Titus was borderline IR. It was, all right, did we put him on IR to get the roster spot because we need to fortify? He might miss a week or two. And look, this is going to be week three. So whoever's on IR has to miss minimum, whoever was prior to the season, has to miss minimum the Pittsburgh game. And then they are eligible to return. And we'll see if they can return right away. If they need a couple of weeks of practice, we'll see. I think after the bye is when you could safely say, they're going to get, maybe not safely, but this is just my interpretation, they're going to get a lot of guys back. They're going to get a lot of guys back at full strength, fully practiced, fully ready to go, and we'll see. They have to somehow survive through this. they got to pick up a win one of these next two weeks, hopefully both, and we'll see how it goes from there. I think it's really promising that Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie have yet, you know, there's not, I don't want to say the I word, but. That they're not on IR. They're not on IR. That's so a good thing, yeah. It, sure. You know, with Jalen Petrie, the way that he went out in week one and didn't come back for the second half, I yeah. was sort of holding my breath all week that you'd, you'd lose him. You've already got Jimmy Ward out. But the fact that those two safeties, I think Pete probably Ward, I mean, I'm speaking. Yeah, you're speculating. On, I'm speculating, but I, I'm, I would assume that Ward is probably closer to returning than Petrie. Well, you would think, but you don't know. I mean, it's but speculation radio 610. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctor, you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm a doctor. Dr. Sidhu. Uh, Look, I want to get everybody back. The running game, Pierce talked about it. Everybody's talking about it. And I want to see what you guys think of this because I got a feeling that Stroud is further ahead from where they thought he might be right now, right? I think he's a little bit more than they thought at this point after two weeks of playing based on where we started. Not that they thought he was going to be bad or something, but maybe they can do more with him and throw their way into a running game. I'm not saying change the offense, but maybe change the game plan, change something where, okay, we're going to loosen them up with this passing attack, maybe get a guy out of the box, and now we can hit him with Pierce. I don't know. What do you think of that, Drew? I think he's looking a lot like he looked at Ohio State. I mean, he's he's kind of going on that same progression that we saw in college and Yes, it is surprising because, hey, he's doing it now in the NFL, but, I mean, it's kind of in line with who he's been, and that's really, really been what's most impressive to me is it's not like the the league is too big for him so far. Yes, we're talking about a guy who's 0-2 as a starter, but the promise, the promise he's shown mm-hmm. and the results he's shown despite the outcome, I think have been really, really impressive in that regard. How but- concerned are we with the defense? Because I feel like coming out of week one, I felt so fantastic about the defense yeah they were Jekyll and Hydeish yeah. and then and then week two it was it didn't seem like the same team now there were there were injuries and then there were injuries as the game progressed sure. because sure. then you lose uh your safety position which is your position of strength now is really dwindled down well think about this you lost your starting safeties then you lose Murray and mm-hmm. Tavier Thomas they haven't announced anything yet but reportedly He's out too. So of your starting five DBs, and I'll put five in there because it's nickel and Tavier is a nickel, you're missing three of them and then three and a half because I don't want to call Murray a half because he's sort of like a 1A type of player. But with him out, 
you're really dealing with a mix here that you didn't count on going in. You just, you're always ready in case you need to go to the reserves like that, but you hope you don't have to, and nobody foresaw this. But as you said, DP, maybe you get a guy or two back this week in Petrie and or Ward, and we'll see, we'll hope, because Murray. you go to Jacksonville, and I got a feeling that there's no way the defense is going to play as poorly as they did at times in the Colts game. You know, early on, it was really rough, obviously. They got it together a bit in the second half, but early on, it was rough. I don't think there's any way they play like that against Jacksonville. I agree. I think we're going to see something in between what we saw Baltimore and Jacksonville, but think about how cataclysmic this would actually be. The loss of these two safeties, now Tavier Thomas, now Eric Murray. Think about how cataclysmic this would be if you didn't have two corners in Stingley and in Nelson playing the way they're playing. I mean, Derek Stingley, nobody's talking about him because the ball's not getting thrown his way. He's yeah. been excellent so far. If those two or if one of those guys was gone and not doing what they're doing, it's really, really bad news moving forward moving forward for the future. But they're covering up, I think, some holes that would really be exposed were they not around. Well, look who they're facing this week, too. They've got Christian Kirk. They've got uh, Evan Ingram. They've got um, Calvin Ridley, who, yeah. yep. you know, I mean, we saw what he was able to do when he was healthy and didn't play all last year. But, oh, he's, he's healthy. Yeah. That's the other thing. He's coming back, not from an injury or anything else. He's ready to go. I think Trevor Lawrence, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into the Jacksonville breakdown, what's going on with them. But, I mean, they're looking to have a bounce back game. And those weapons, I mean, they they are as loaded as I think they've ever been um, in this era with Trevor Lawrence. So you're going to need your starting cornerbacks. I know also on Texans Monday, you, Mark, and Johnny were talking about Hassan Ridgeway, which I think is yeah. also very <laughs> underrated, the loss of him and what you were mm -hmm. not able to do against the run with Indy not having him up front. It, it is a problem because he's got size. You still have Malik. We, we remember what happened last year when Malik went out for a few games. It really cost them in run defense, and they were already challenged enough. Now you have Ridgeway out. Look, they've got to be finding a way to do it no matter what because I, I figured coming in, and this shows you how things change. In July, if we're sitting here in July doing a show, I'm counting linebackers for days. I'm counting D linemen for days. I assume Roy Lopez, and maybe it's a bad assumption at this point, he's not with the organization anymore. I assumed he would improve going from year two to year three. Well, they didn't see it that way. And here you are in a depth situation that's really tough up front. Linebackers got depth tested. We just talked about the secondary uh, they're really getting measured here as far as what they have in reserve to get through it. And I just think a lot of it is going to be corrected just through practice, coaching, the fight they're going to have against Jacksonville on the road. I just believe it's going to be a lot better than what we saw last week. But is it enough? You pointed it out. Jacksonville, they're upset too. They only scored nine points last week. It's on. And you might get into... I don't want to call it a shootout, but man, you got to find a way to score points early. Got to finish those red zone drives, put the pressure on the Jags. So maybe your defense can work with a lead. Imagine that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, you've got, you've got, yeah, Jacksonville is, they, I think Trevor Lawrence, I, I was reading something. He, he called it an embarrassing loss with all of the weapons they have not being able to get into the red zone. It was a weird day for them playing the chiefs. I mean, I guess, I guess the chiefs had Chris Jones back, but I think Jacksonville was sort of surprised at how they weren't able to get any points on the board and how their offense just really sputtered I talked, in week two. I talked with the voice of the Jags already. He said that they couldn't block the front of the Chiefs. 
most oh, notably yeah. Chris Jones. Chris Jones yeah. They are having some issues along the offensive line. We haven't heard anything about that, but issues along the offensive line, and it's a difficult time to keep Lawrence in the pocket, time to throw, throw accurately to the weapons he does have. So let's see if the Texans can capitalize there and just take advantage of a situation where the Jaguars are feeling it up front. If you talk about Jekyll and Hyde, how about the Jags? In week yeah. one, they put up 31 points. And then on Sunday against the Chiefs, no touchdowns, 0 for 3 in the red zone. Yeah. Like that's, and, and it's not like. I at mean, home. At home. And it's it's not like Trevor Lawrence is a rookie. I mean, if C.J. Stroud did that, you could say, okay, he's a rookie. He's sort of going through his ups and downs. And, and they've got a second-year head coach in Doug Peterson. I mean, I think that they're all sort of scratching their heads down there. Did he, so did your guy say, like, what – like, what does he think is going to happen? He thinks that it, it was a little bit of an aberration game that I, I believe that they look at the Texans and say, this is my thought and say, all right, maybe it's not like a stats game for them, but maybe they can get well against the Houston Texans based on what the Colts just did. And the Jags beat the Colts, right? We have transitive properties going on right here. <laughs> but the Jags can't beat the Texans at home. The, ja the yeah. Jags can only beat the Colts consistently at home. Right, and the Jags are coming off that loss to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs were held to 17 points. That's the amazing thing about that game to me. Not necessarily that the Jags were held to nine, but you held the Chiefs to 17. If you tell Doug Peterson going in, hey, I'm going to give you, uh, let's play, let's make a deal. I'll give you 17 points allowed this afternoon or what's behind door number two. You are picking the 17 points every single time. You figure you can score 18 plus at home against anybody especially with those weapons, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't get one touchdown on the board. And the Chiefs, that is the second lowest point total in the Mahomes era. That's how well they play defense. Ouch. Get ready. Buckle up. Texans got to find a way to move the ball through the air, and hopefully they can get Stroud enough time, enough play action opportunities to score. I'm still not sold on the Chiefs. Excuse me. I'm still not sold on the Jags. They might, yeah, they might be a lot better than the Texans on Sunday, but I'll believe it when I actually see it. They came in here and they thumped the Texans in, in NRG Stadium last year, but yeah. I'm just not. I think this is a winnable game for the Texans. It's going to mm. be tough. It's going to mm. be tough for Houston to win, but it's always a winnable game when you're playing these guys. I just, I'm not sold on them. I'm not sold on Jackson. Divisional game. Divisional game. Yeah. And, and you said it, DP, you know, the Colts come in here. And the Colts obviously have had the Texans number historically. This is a very different Colts team, but they have a lot of the same guys that have given you trouble over recent years. When I was prepping for this game, I'm looking at the Colts whole line. I'm thinking, all right, Quentin Nelson's there. Ryan Kelly's there. Braden Smith is there. What's the problem, guys? Why were you so horrible last year? And then I'm looking at the D-line. All right, you got Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, got it, Quiddy Pay. Oh, my gosh. Ebukam. I mean, these guys are good players. So... What's the problem? Well, in the trenches, we saw they didn't have much of a problem. They were playing really well. And I think they played well at times against the Jaguars, but it was the first start for Richardson. DeForest Buckner actually scored a touchdown in that game. And look, the Colts, if we were Colts right now, Colts radio, they're freaking out about the Richardson health situation, right? As but, they should. That's scary. But yeah. Minshew Although, was yeah, with he was with Shane Steichen in Philly. So this is a different Minshew than we saw when he was with Jacksonville. Texans went 3-0 and against him. Now Minshew is with this coach in this system, and he was thousand paper cuts 
to death of the Houston Texans. Just short passes all the way through. Couldn't get to him. Didn't hold the ball. Just got rid of it quick to the open man. Matriculated the ball down the field, and it was tough to stop. Mark, you bring up a good point because I was on the group chat with my brother and sister during the Colts game, and um, <laughs> they were freaking out about Richardson. Actually, my sister, who really only watches football very casually, was mm-hmm. even like... Come on, Richardson. Like, why are you going to get yourself hurt? Like, why are you not? And then, of course, he ended up getting himself hurt. So they even even in a game where they were leading, it seemed like they were really, really concerned. It's the long term. It's the long term. Like, that's just not sustainable playing the way he's playing. They should be. They should be. That was his. That's his. He has an injury history at Florida. Yeah. Well, how about this one? Absolutely should be. How about this one for Richardson? He's played two games. He had to leave both of them. Because he had to leave that opening day game late in the game. Minshew came in through a couple of passes. And then he leaves this one early. And Minshew comes in and throws a lot more passes. And they're one and one. And they take it from there. And we'll see them a lot later on. It's going to be the closing game of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what each team team looks like at that point. The Colts will be different. The Jags are going to be different on Sunday. But, you know, we got to see a lot of teams that we're going to face later on in the season. Last night on Monday Night Football, I'm going to get your guys' thoughts on Monday Night Football, trying to watch all those games and all those teams Mm. at the same time. Your thoughts about that, and then we'll go around the NFL. It's all coming up on Texans All Access. We're back with more Texans All Access. We're talking about teams that the Texans will be facing in 2023. And last night was a bonanza. It was a cornucopia. Oh, it was good. It was a, it was almost too much football for me to enjoy simultaneously because the games were overlapping and it wasn't like it was a Sunday YouTube TV direct TV yeah. sort of a situation. Mm-hmm. So my middle son, we, we have TVs in opposing rooms where if you sit in just the right seat, you can watch both. So we had like one TV on one game and one TV on another game. And uh, I must have walked by and seen him doing that and yelled at him like four times, like your homework better be done if you're doing this. But those were some good games and they're all teams that you're going to face later on the season. We were talking to JG about it, like what it's like for them, because they're, he said he was basically watching the old line in all those games. I'm sure you guys are watching more than the old sure. line. Your thoughts on Monday night double headers. What you guys think? Do you like them? Yes. No. What are, what are we thinking about them? I like them, but I like them staggered. You know, that's uh, that's that's the way to do it. I love the way that we did it back in 2013 when we were the the West Coast game oh, out true, San Diego playing the Chargers. Header. That's what I want. That's the perfect setup. So it's wait, you want to be totally... the 9:30 local start? I don't. Do I don't want the Texans to be. I just <laughs> want there like to be two. So there's like a it's long night late. football. It's too late. But even even the game no, that started at seven. Was, that was late. The the Pittsburgh Cleveland game started at seven fifteen Central. Look, it's way past my bedtime. That game was well, heavily delayed because of the Chubb situation, and it just felt like it dragged on. But it was really compelling. I couldn't go to sleep. It was so compelling. I'm on the edge of my seat watching that thing, and I abandoned the Saints Carolina game. I said I'll catch the highlights. I got to be fully invested in this Pittsburgh-Cleveland thing. It's funny. The Texans play all four of those teams that yeah. played last night, so it's cool. But I was far more interested in what was going on in Steel City with Watson playing and the Texans having the Browns pick, and I'm wanting Cleveland to lose every single game by as much as possible. And I'm looking at Pittsburgh, and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to be here next week. Next week is Watt week, and the Steelers come calling, and I'm looking at that D-line, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Because I think the Texans could have success against the Steelers' offense, but the Steelers' defense, 
bring the blocking because T.J. Watts come, and so is Highsmith, all those dudes. When they took a rest after they scored the touchdown, the reserves were in there giving Cleveland problems. <laughs> they are deep on the D-line. Up front, they're really tough to deal with. I think when the game starts off on a pick six, I mean, granted, it was not a perfect interception, but just the playmaking ability of that Steelers defense. Mm. Watson throws a pick six on the first play. I mean, I was just – I was astounded by – his performance and I think he like his comments in the media you know that he is very very unhappy he seemed so frustrated in the game Good. too he was as he uh, you know and I I think that these last few years you know he's obviously trying to prove that he's worth all 230 million of those dollars there's a lot of pressure on him and in that situation in Cleveland yeah. but four turnovers three of them were basically his fault a couple of face mask penalties. I felt like every time I looked at that game, it was being delayed for one reason or another. There was a flag. I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly game. They were, they were in Push it though the till the end. Yeah, they were in it till the end. If if, if if Kenny Pickett could have just put together like a nice drive at the end, the Steelers could have run run away with it. But it just felt like the Browns were losing the whole the whole game. Even when they were leading, they were even losing. when they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Watson, he you know he's clearly does not look like the Watson we saw when no. he was here, and it's it's weird. My sons play uh, Madden, right. and you can add different players. So one of my sons has a team; it's the Texans, and Mahomes is the quarterback, <laughs> and he's got Stephon Diggs playing wide receiver. But he made Stephon Diggs four hundred pounds. Oh, and okay. I, he he said, "Daddy, come look at Stephon Diggs," and I came in, and I'm like. Hey, how come Stefan Diggs looks so portly? And he said, I made him 400 pounds. He's so much harder to tackle. <laughs> and he was still effective. And he was still, you know, he also did that with, uh, with Micah Parsons, too. It's not going to be good but for his knees. Looking either. at him, it's like, well, that's supposedly Stefan Diggs, but he's bigger, mm -hmm. but he's different. And it's kind of like the same thing. Like, that's Watson, but that's not the Watson we mm. were accustomed to seeing. I was wondering where you were going with this. It. Yeah. Like it's just a different <laughs> it's it's the same guy, but it's different. And it's it's almost like Stefan Diggs being four hundred pounds on my son's uh, Madden game. So there. He's, that's my connection. He's not the same. I look, this is my theory. This is my personal theory. Everybody wants to be appreciated and loved, right? For what they do. And I think right now he's not getting much of that even in his own market, Cleveland, right? So I think it's difficult for anybody, and I'm not sympathizing here. I'm just reading the situation. You know, he's used to a certain kind of treatment from the fans when he was here, and there it's got to be a lot different. I know the Browns fans want him to succeed because they want the team to win, but you go to those AFC North cities, that's not like going to Nashville or Jacksonville. This is The football's tough here. The football's tough for the AFC South. But the fans are a different variety when you go to Pittsburgh, when you go to Cincinnati. Remember Sam Weish getting on the microphone in Cincinnati when he was head coach, and he said, it's not like you're from Cleveland. Stop throwing stuff. I, stuff happens <laughs> in those cities. And Baltimore, my gosh, these are really tough places to play. And we're not even in the bad weather time yet. Plus, the Steelers, can you imagine the stuff they say to him across the line of scrimmage? Mm. He was getting super frustrated. When was the last time you see a quarterback get two face mask penalties on him? And on he, him. And, he committed them. And, and what about the near ejection? You were just talking about this before the Pushed show. Pushed an official, <laughs> right? 
did not get ejected, and they're saying, "Well, he's lucky, man." And he's not going to get—he's not going to get fined or suspended either. It's he's, crazy he's that he doesn't really get lucky. fined. It's—it's yeah. crazy because if they find him, I guess that—that's it, an admission that they were wrong. Mm. But that happens all the time. They miss hits. They miss illegal stuff, helmet to helmet, in the course of battle on the fields. They miss it in the heat of the game, and then later on, well, when they slow things down, they can see it. They find guys all the time. So I guess he's not getting fined. I don't know. But the point is this. He is not himself, and once Chubb goes out, Chubb is the focal point of that offense. It's not him. It's Chubb, and Chubb was running well early, and then he goes out with the catastrophic injury, and Chubb is like Derrick Henry to them. He might not be Derrick Henry, but he's Derrick Henry to them, and without him, they're not the same. I know Ford had a really good game and a huge run and everything. He did some things, but you can't build around him, in my opinion, so... They were caught in a tough spot. The Steelers took advantage. But the Steelers don't move the ball either. Kenny Pickett's having a tough time. Najee Harris just doesn't look like an Alabama back should look. You know, He's more Trent Richardson than Derrick Henry, if you will. I, I'm not putting that on him. I think he's a pretty good back. But they're just not moving the ball. Everybody's keying on Najee Harris and then make Pickett beat you. He had some good throws last night, but not enough. And the defense scoring two touchdowns, like you said, DP, that last strip by Highsmith and the mm. touchdown by T.J. Watt was electric stuff. And I'm not a Steelers fan at all, but I was rooting for them last night. Now, next week, they better lose badly. Now, you don't want T.J. Watt getting any fumble six, nope. pick sixes with his brother being inducted. Nope. In the, Sorry. And his brother doesn't want to see it either. We don't want to see any of that. Get that all out of your system this week. I don't know. Week. How's and he going to feel week? about it? <laughs> get, get it out this week. Get it out last week. But don't be doing that here yeah, when not it's on the Ring of, Ring, of Honor, Ring of Honor Watt Day. It's weird because it'll be Watt Day, and we'll talk about this next week. And TJ's going to be here. You don't want Watt making a big play on Watt Day against the wrong Watt's whole team. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. So let's see how it goes. It's funny because Indy, Indy walked in here before Texans huddle, and he said, I didn't see that whole game, but was, Watt, or, were, was Watson as bad as his numbers? <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, you look at it, he's like 20, 22 of 40 pass attempts. I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely. Would you say he looked like a 400 pound Stefan Diggs? That's uh, right. I mean, yeah. we, uh, you maybe that's something that you know your your kids should try next. Make make Deshaun Watson 400 pounds. Maybe his accuracy. I don't know how that would affect it. What about the other game with Carolina and yes. the Saints? Because Bryce Young getting a long a long look last night from the fans around the nation. I love how everyone draws conclusions about these rookie quarterbacks after a couple of games. Uh, yeah, Young did not look that good. Let's be honest. The yards per attempt are extremely low. It's not productive for him right now. The rookie quarterbacks who drafted high tend to go to teams that don't have everything they need to make them successful yet. So we'll see how it goes. I'm not going to label him anything just yet. And just like I'm not going to get too over the top, although it's hard not to, about CJ's performance. I just want to see more and more of it because I was so encouraged by what I saw. But so far, CJ looks like the guy. Now, Anthony Richardson looks pretty good, too. He was playing pretty well in that game before he went out. He had those runs. Those look pretty good as well. But can he hold up with the injury history and the hits he's taking so far? Yeah, Derek Carr, I mean, with the Saints, he, I mean, what, did you see much of that game with, with him and how he's been playing with the Saints? Because I was watching the beginning of it. It's it not that good. It it's, wasn't that good. They pulled out a win somehow. I saw a couple of dropbacks where he had all day and still couldn't find somebody, and I don't know who to, quote, blame that on, but <laughs> it's early. And he, I saw his post game a little bit of it, and he said, 
look, we have to correct a lot of things, but it's easier to do that when you're winning than when you're losing. And he says a big reason why he picked the Saints is their defense, and they kept them in the first game and last night, obviously. So, hey, 2-0 is 2-0. I'd love to be 2-0 right now. I mean, you look at this division. You've got – I mean, everybody's 1-1. One and one. I mean, Jacksonville, who I remember – what we were talking in the offseason, people were just d- – saying that they're going to run away with this division. I mean, they're not really dominating. I know it's only two weeks, but one and one, and the Texans are owned to. If the Texans can get a win here against Jacksonville. It changes the world. It totally changes the world. And you think, oh, and, t- and th- there was a stat. Um, I, we, I, we get these emails every single week from the league about when to not panic. And they were just talking about the teams that start 0-2 and, and can still make it to the playoffs and it just makes me remember several years back when the Texans started 0 and 3. Yeah. And then 19. I'm not that saying remains, we're going to win 9 straight, that remains, but that 2018 season was a remains one year. One of the most fun years. I mean it did it ended horribly in the playoffs, it but <laughs> that season was awesome. I mean, it was fun. You start out 0 and 3 and then you just start peeling off overtime victories in a row and then you go to Denver the week you acquired Demarius Thomas and you win there. That was just an awesome, cool. awesome season. The losses were close late as well mm-hmm. at Philly. I mean, mm-hmm. you leave the, the the field on offense oh. with a lead. Yeah, and then you, you give it back away. But that, that season was a hell of a good time. Nine in a row. Think about that span. I mean, basically all of October, November into December, that's a lot of winning. That's a lot of weeks where you're happy and you wake up on Monday morning feeling good and, and the, the week just like cruises along a lot better than it would have if you wake up like you did this week that was i think that the cowboy like this week the cowboys game on sunday night football that win and overtime that might be one of my all-time favorite regular season wins and then you know that you're right i think that was the year that the the players started doing the group photos after celebrations that was the first year and we have so many of those in fact i think when i was here that was the right after i'd been here for five years we got to pick one picture to sort of encapsulate our five years. And I picked one from the Denver game with like nobody's <laughs> remaining from that squad anymore. They're all posing in the end zone after a touchdown. But that was, I, I agree. JJ had a pick year. six at the end of the bills game to kind of win that Ooh, one. Like right. you were going to overtime for the third week in a row there. Yeah. There were yeah. lots of fun, fun moments in that. that uh, span. Yeah. There were a lot of moments, Washington, the Alex the Smith, six, horrendous yeah. Oh, yeah. injury, the pick six the against Wadden, Washington yeah. and uh, a lot of different things. But the Colts, the Colts ended that season. Yuck. Uh, but it was fun to win nine in a row. That's a franchise record, of course, and I'd love to do it this year. Let's start it next week, shall we? Let's start it next next uh, next week. Let's start it this week. Uh, all right, we're going to do one more segment. Uh, what should the Cleveland Browns do about this Nick Chubb injury? Someone has a suggestion, and it's going to make Mark Vandermeer's stomach Aww. turn. Aww. We're going to get into that and go around the NFL when we come back with one final segment of Texans All Access. We're back with one final segment of Texans All Access. We've been talking about all the Monday night games, uh, predominantly the Browns and the Steelers. And we saw Nick Chubb get carted off the field with a knee injury. And this morning, of course, everyone's got solutions to the Browns problems. The Texans, of course, <laughs> are going to be facing the Browns later on in the season. Christmas Eve. Uh, yes, that's right. Christmas Eve game. And this is not going to make for a very Merry Christmas for one Mark Vandermeer. What? The proposal's floating around. How about if the Colts trade Jonathan Taylor before the trade deadline to Nick for, for Nick Chubb to 
Mm. The Browns. Wait, wait. For Nick Chubb? Not for Nick Chubb. In lieu of the injured Nick Chubb. I'm, I'm looking at... Everybody was suggesting it, so I can't figure out who to give credit to. They will to. have no picks left for anything. Here's the thing. If I mean, I'm Cleveland, I'm thinking... I'm looking at my team, and I'm thinking, am I, need- I Jonathan Taylor away from being really successful? I don't know about that. Sure, they'll run the ball better with Taylor as opposed to Ford and whatever else they do. A lot of people are saying pick up Kareem Hunt. But I don't like that at all for them if I'm them because I got to give up something. I still got to pay him. I'm paying Chubb something already. The, the injuries to running backs in this league are unfathomable. It's crazy how many running backs are hurt right now. So I don't see that happening, but you never know. Well, the Colts also won a first-round draft pick, so you'd have to give up That's not happening. a first-round draft pick and on top of everything else. You bring up a they good point. They don't have any first-round draft picks. <laughs> I don't know where they were We'll give you a first- 2027. <laughs> a first-round draft pick. And uh, is that going to fix all your other problems? Because you're right, Jonathan Taylor also injury history because he started off uh, the season on Pup. What do so. they really think of their quarterback situation? I mean, we could talk about this for days. What do they really think behind closed doors? Well, is it going to happen? Are we going to see it or not? Are we ever going to see it? Or is this what we're going to get till the end of time? I don't know what they think, and I don't know what's going to happen, but we're all watching. It's the greatest reality show. That's why we were watching last night. And by the way, you mentioned Monday Night Football doubleheader last night. You get another one next Monday, another staggered doubleheader, oh. 6.15 start time. So buckle up, lots of football viewing. I want to see the Manning brothers and the Manning cast try to watch these games, especially when they start oh, overlapping. <laughs> I want to see them try to comment on the games. But, but like, they've got four screens. I want to see, like, a Peyton box, an Eli box, and then the two games, and then both of them try to comment because I, I don't even know if they could fit an interview in there. But I was kind of missing the Manning cast last night because there was just so much happening at the same time, and I feel like their reactions to stuff are basically like our reactions. Do you want my unsolicited? I still say, step, I still say separate. Don't stagger. Let's have it like so. Yeah, pure, have one end. Standalone. You're not That's staying up till midnight. Up, Drink some coffee. Started or... at five. Yeah. Started at four. When, when did that Charger Start game? Started while I'm at work. I don't care. 2013. I think we kicked off at 920 Central. We did. <laughs> That's fine. I think it was. It's that. ridiculous. That. That, okay, fine. I don't want to I don't want to be in the second of the doubleheader, yeah. and that was fine for the Chargers because they're West yeah. Coast team. I just remember that was my first regular season first game, game ever. Wow. And I walked in the door at 6:30 in the morning and oh, I thought, have I made a horrible mistake? <laughs> because I had to get my kids ready for school. And then it was Are you sure it was 6 30 and when like 7 30? Because I kind of feel like we came home no. against traffic. No, uh, with, I, I live yeah, much, rush hour. I live much closer, yeah. so I know I was getting my kids ready because I was half asleep getting them ready for school. And then we, it was just, then it was that Tuesday. Was then it was Tuesday. Then we had like all of our shows, but everything that was rough. Speaking, okay, so let's go down memory lane. Favorite Monday night memory that the Texans have ever played in? You guys oh, have a favorite Monday best night football Monday memory? night Texans game? Oh, that was a great one because Cushing had the pick six. I, as much as I complain about how late it was, that was a really fun game. I like the Jets in 12. That was a good one, except for Cushing getting hurt. That sucked. Oof, yeah, that but was the Jets in 12 was good. We've had some losses on Monday night. <laughs> Those are those are automatically well, flowing into my brain right now. The best loss, if you want to go mm-hmm. there, I has to be the Saints game. That was Monday night as well, right? Yeah, that right was when a, we traded for Laramie Tunsil and yeah, Kenny Stills. 19, yep. Best loss is hard to rank. That was but, the best. That was felt like a it felt like a win just because it was such an exciting game. Best win is the Bengals in 2015 going there and they're undefeated mm. and beating them ten to yeah. six. Mm-hmm. Ten to six. That was awesome. What TJ about the, Yates. What about the the Titans game? 
Beating uh, Tennessee 34-17. Wait, 18? 34-17 in 18. Yeah, that was, that was the, the Lamar Miller. That, that was, was the Lamar Miller Bob long 98-yard touchdown. Right, I'll give that one the best home Monday night game. That game, to <laughs> me, categories. it's it's such an emotional memory because of Mr. McNair and all it meant and the Lamar Miller run. And, oh, my gosh, that was so good. That it, It's such a different context from what happened in 2015. It's fun to reminisce, reminisce about wins. I want some wins this year to reminisce about I later. I want some more, yes. Yeah, like, more. how about this Sunday? I want to be reminiscing about a win at Jacksonville next week. I'm going to reminisce about what's <laughs> happening this coming Sunday. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the Lamar Miller run because in our offices we've got these – um, just glass offices. Mark's in basically a, a glass office. A glass cage he's in of a glass, emotion. He's in a glass house, so he shall mm-hmm. not cast stones. Uh, but at one point, there was talk of fogging up the glass and putting, you know, famous Texans plays oh, yeah. on the, the glass. The X's and O's. And X's and, 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 yeah. and, X's and O's. And yeah. so um, Sunil, who's, uh, you know, in legal, had some plays that he drew up that he were his favorite. Yeah, yeah. And I knew which one Mark was going to pick. Hey, you picked the Lamar Miller one, although it's not as fun just to look one at. One line it's going all the way. Line just way. a bunch of people, the bunch of X's and O's, and one guy just take it off. Bye bye. Uh, would you choose, DP? I would choose the Cecil Shorts touchdown pass against the Jets just because it looks so bonkers, X's and O's wise. Oh. Not necessarily my favorite play ever, but just like. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you have to take that into consideration. One. The the aesthetics of the X's and O's. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I would I would pick the DeAndre Hopkins and the Cowboys hop spins because oh, that would be, be a fun one. little squiggly line Whoop. to draw. Look like but cursive, yeah. That'd be you fun. don't draw it, it up that way. That play's designed to get exactly. I don't know, twenty. <laughs> and he took was it that, at the field goal range. Was that? I hope this this year with CJ. I hope that we have a play like that because uh, some of those Nico Collins passes. I mean. Mm. You know, as well, the touchdown what and the Tank Dell touchdown. What a great story he is. I know we talked about him earlier, but year three, he's putting this together. And I think during training camp, there was a lot of talk. Who's the number one guy? Who's the number one receiver? And there was a lot of talk about the receiving group. Are they good enough? Right now, it looks like one of the strengths of the team. That's the least you're worried about right now. You're looking at some other areas where you thought they might be okay, but a lot of injuries have factored into changing the immediate opinion about some of those position groups, and you need guys back. But I love what I'm seeing out of Nico, and I've always said this. If he's healthy, he's making plays. He's one of those guys. He's healthy. He's making plays. Yeah, and I think that you know, just seeing some of the guys on offense, really, I, I'd seen Brevin Jordan make a catch late in the game. I mean, I remember thinking in training camp, we just thought he hadn't played all through training camp and to see him get in the mix again. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was, uh, I, I, you know, I, I like Brevin. We've, we've seen him as a rookie. It's, I think these guys that are like in their third, fourth year, it's really hard for them because there's been so much inconsistency for them. Like systems have changed. Coaches have changed. Yeah. Personnel has changed. Third offensive coordinator if you were drafted in 2021. I mean, we were talking to Jonathan Grenard. Like, he came here in 2020. First of all, that was already rough because it was a COVID year. Right. So they couldn't even do OTAs and Four head camp. coaches in four years. And the defensive coordinators. He mm-hmm. also changed positions, too. Remember? He was... Outside he, linebacker. We were like a... Three, a three four, four. and yeah. then yeah he was here when we were still a three four he's built for this though he's built to be a dn <laughs> he, is, he can do it it's still a lot of uh, change he was telling us actually in the break that sheldon rankins um that he was there at louisville mm-hmm. sheldon was a senior when jg was a freshman oh before he went to florida before he went to florida well it was it was sheldon's last year there so it's how crazy that the two of them are here now with the texans crazy and now a whole new d-line group so anyway we're moving on to 
Jacksonville on Sunday. Another Fox game. Weird, which I always find weird when it's a Fox same game. Same crew calling it too. Chris Myers, Robert Smith. Same so. crew, same everything. Sunday. And then John Harris. I'm sure he had a blast with this Texans matchup. Because sure. there were finally some really fun plays. And a lot of Jacksonville right memories as well. Oh, some good Jacksonville memories. Are they John's personal Jacksonville memories? Maybe, maybe he used to coach there. taking a photo of him while Andre Howell's running for a touchdown. Could be. <laughs> I remember that. All right, that's going to do it for Texans All Access. Stay tuned for Texans Matchup up next. And, of course, you can catch all of our shows, all of our podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to check out HoustonTexans.com. Go to the podcast page, and you can catch up on all of your favorite shows. That's going to do it for Texans All Access. Thanks so much for listening. Texans Matchup is up next.